This is Parrot Talk. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com. Good Tuesday morning to you. It is the sixth day, sixth month of the year of our Lord 2023. Mike Parrot here, your humble host of Parrot Talk here on the Crusade Channel. Talk radio the way it should be. I want to start a new thing with you. It's a new thing. I don't know if we'll do it every day. We'll just have a a short reading from this book called The Paraclete. Since we are now in the time of the year, after Pentecost, to uh, think about the Paraclete, third person of the most blessed trinity, this is a manual of instruction and devotion by Father... Marianus Feig. And this book maintains the Nihil Abstat and an imprimatur from Michael Augustine, Archbishop of New York, August 15th, 1899. I think we should spend more time reading things that were written before the age of Aquarius. Dedication. These pages written in honor of God, the Holy Ghost, are most humbly and most lovingly inscribed to Mary, Immaculate Spouse of the Holy Ghost, to the end that all who devoutly use this little volume may walk more worthily of their vocation as becometh the sons of God. Father, through the merits of Jesus Christ, his Son, and the power of the Holy Ghost, and by Mary's own most singular intercession. Pope Leo XIII on devotion to the Holy Ghost. Quote, We earnestly desire that piety may increase and be inflamed towards the Holy Ghost, to whom especially all of us owe the graces of following the paths of truth and virtue. All preachers and those having care of souls should remember that it is their duty to instruct their people more diligently and more fully about the Holy Ghost. What should be chiefly dwelt upon and clearly explained is the multitude and greatness of the benefits which have been bestowed and are constantly bestowed upon us by this divine Giver, we decree and command that throughout the Catholic Church this year, every subsequent year, a novena shall take place before Whit Sunday in all parish churches. This was an encyclical released in 1897, May 9th, 1897, by His Holiness, Pope Leo XIII. So I think what we'll do is we'll just read like one part of this every day till we get through it. And I don't know if we'll do it every single day, but here's the preface. Today we'll read the preface. The Paraclete, Manual of Instruction and Devotion. The human soul is a spirit created to animate a material body within which it is confined 
and through which it is tied down at present to this visible world. Yet at the same time, it gives evidence of a strong and irrepressible tendency to break through its barriers, raise itself above this physical universe, and hold converse with the inhabitants of the unseen world. Whence arises this tendency? It may to some extent be quite natural, for the soul being spiritual would naturally tend to commune with beings of its own kind. Yet the real cause must be attributed to the fact that God destined man for supernatural union with himself, which implies the raising of man to a state beyond his natural condition. And hence there springs up within the soul a natural and indestructible longing for something beyond the whole world, implanted in his heart by God himself. As long as man aspires to this supernatural union, all is well with him. He will find therein true peace and contentment, which is a foretaste of that unspeakable joy and happiness with which his whole being will be replenished when that union is perfected in heaven. Yet at all times men have been found who, through either blindness or perversity, have deliberately turned aside from God and placed their final end in some other object. But the soul's true nature and instinct ever assert themselves in spite of man's endeavors to the contrary. And from the lowest depth of the human soul, there is heard a strong cry for something beyond this world, even when God is lost sight of and rejected. And what is the result? Attempts are made to place oneself in communication with the spirits of the other world. In many instances, it ends in mere sham and trickery, practiced upon a credulous crowd by impostors. Yet it also happens that, just by a just permission of God, such rash attempts are actually realized and finally result, directly or indirectly, in positive demon worship, by whatever innocent or high-sounding name it may disguise its real nature. And although practices of this kind have existed at all times, it cannot be denied that, at the present day, they have assumed alarming and widespread dimensions. Now the Catholic Church possesses within her vast treasury special antidotes against all errors and malpractices. If men will crave after the occult and mysterious, they will find in the Catholic Church a true form of genuine spiritism, by which man places himself in direct and personal connection with the Supreme Spirit, God the Holy Ghost himself, who actually comes to abide within him, and by whose influence all that is good, noble, and beautiful within the soul of man is brought out and raised to perfection, and man himself is made godlike. Hence special devotion to the Holy Ghost, the third person of the most adorable trinity, so strongly advocated and recommended by His Holiness the Sovereign Pontiff Leo XIII, is most opportune. And it is a healthy sign of the times to notice 
that his fatherly advice has not been left unheeded. In these pages, a series of instructions and devotions is offered to the faithful to enable them to acquire and practice genuine devotion to the Holy Ghost. May this little book become a powerful means of making the spirit of divine love ever more known, loved, and adored by all men on earth. Amen. All right. That's your preface. That's your preface to the paraclete. Hopefully you are desiring to hear more of it tomorrow. Let's get into the show, ladies and gentlemen. The show today, we're talking about some church things and some secular things. There's a movie out, it's called Padre Pio, and it is sending Catholics to the confessional. It's sending Catholics to the confessional not because they are so moved by the movie that they are making acts of contrition for their past sins, but instead, apparently, it is sending Catholics to the confessional because of its lewd, nudity, blasphemy, and foul language, which, of course, you would expect to see in a movie about a Catholic saint. Shia LaBeouf is apparently converting to the Catholic faith. Good for him. I'm happy for him. He announced it recently that he is headed to RCIA. This is after he had that interview with uh, Bishop Robert Barron of Turd on Fire. Do you remember the interview in which Shia LaBeouf sort of put... Robert Barron on his heels about the Latin Mass. He said, yeah, the Novus Ordo is kind of like there's a used car salesman trying to sell you something. Pretty good line. I do hope that Shia is indeed converting to the one true faith and he will find himself in the traditional Catholic Church as soon as possible. But this movie, and he didn't write it. He did not direct it. He did not produce it. So I'm not holding him accountable for it. But this movie is, unfortunately, sending people into the confessional for all the wrong reasons. Which is a shame, ladies and gentlemen, because I really would have liked to have watched it. But nevertheless, never fear, perhaps someday, once the... Filters are able to be placed on it. The clear play filters. Then we can watch it, perhaps. I don't know. By the way, funny story for you. As I uh, pop my can of Illy cold brew coffee drink, cold brewed for 12 hours, Illy blend. Here, let's see if you can hear it. Oh, that's, that's a great sound in the morning. That's a great sound when you're trying to record at 5 in the morning and you just don't have the energy to brew a hot pot of coffee. This is the next best thing, ladies and gentlemen. I don't. Can you hear me drinking it? Okay, now I'm with you. Good morning. So, every now and then i would like to be able to show a movie to my children 
and I was playing around with Clear Play. Got a 30-day trial for it. I was like, oh, cool. And I don't know why. I thought about the movie The 300. Do you remember? The movie about the 300 Spartans who accompanied Leonidas to certain death. Holding off the entire Persian army. At the hot gates. So, I I was looking at the filters that you could apply. And yes, you can take out nudity and you can take out language and it will tell you oh if you remove nudity you know you remove uh nine of 131 scenes or something like that so then i hovered over violence i said what if i take out violence from this film from this extremely violent graphic novel film 131 out of 131 scenes would be removed I thought about clicking over the the filter and then just playing the movie and all you would get would be the opening credits and the closing credits. That's your movie, children. That's your violent free movie. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, once Clearplay can take out the blasphemies and nudity from this Padre Pio film, perhaps someday we can enjoy it ourselves but even then i'm not sure if it will be worth it alas hey you know let's talk about this just for a second because i think a lot of you are like what come on just watch it just fast forward whatever we need to talk about the integral good for a second An action is not intricately good if all of its parts are not good. Hence the meaning of the word integral. So, for example, we get the word integrity. And integrity, like in an engineering sense, means that does the bridge have integrity? Does it have everything that is needed for it to withstand the forces which it is designed to withstand. Does a building material have integrity? Does it have its original strength? Does it have its necessary components? Does a human being have integrity? Does he have the moral courage to behave in a manner befitting his human dignity? Something that is, remember in mathematics, in calculus, the integral is actually going upstream, not downstream, such as the derivative. The integral is going from the slope of a line to the area under a curve. You're adding something to it. You're augmenting something to it. You're adding all the pieces that need to exist for it to be integrally complete. There's a completeness to it. So the integral good means that the action itself is good and The circumstances of that action are good. And 
the intentions of the action are good. So here I am drinking my Illy coffee. Now in the abstract, drinking coffee, Illy coffee, cold brew. In the abstract, is that a morally good or morally neutral or morally bad action? Well, I would say it's probably morally neutral. It's not morally good because it's not like in and of itself a worthy thing to do. I'm not praying to God. I'm not rendering thanksgiving to God. I'm not fasting for God. I'm drinking this coffee. That's probably morally neutral. So what else do we need to know to determine whether or not drinking the coffee is good? Well, I'm drinking the coffee on air, on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio, the way it should be. Uh, That might throw it into, you know, you you could argue, oh, okay, well, you know, that's helping you uh, produce a better and more entertaining show. So in those circumstances, it's probably okay. My intention, what is my intention? My intention is to provide some calories and stimulus into my body, keep the brain going, make sure that my thoughts are coherent here this morning. Okay, with those three pieces, I would say, yeah, it's probably integrally a good or at least neutral act. Suppose, however, that I drank the Illy coffee, once again, the action, which we already said is morally neutral, nothing wrong with it. But suppose that the circumstance is that I'm sipping on the coffee while sitting in the front pew of mass. That's the circumstance. Well, then the action is no longer morally good because it is mis- it is deficient in its intricately good manner. Now, let's say I have the best of intentions in that scenario. Well, my intention is that I want to stay awake for Father's sermon because it's so good. I want to make sure that I take notes. I want to make sure that I'm alert, fully alert. My mind is focused entirely on hearing the word of God indulging in the liturgy, and finally, hearing every single nugget of genius that Father's going to present in his sermon. That's a good... That's a good intention. I would say that's a wonderful intention. I intend to stay awake and focus and remember, commit to memory everything that I have just heard. Sounds like a really good intention. But the circumstance renders it morally bad. You cannot do it. You can't sip on coffee during the holy sacrifice of the Mass in the front pew. You can't do that. I don't care if the action of drinking coffee is morally neutral and your intention is morally good if you are deficient in one of the three aspects of moral theology, of judging an action, then the action is not integrally good. 
So some of you are like, oh, well, you're kind of a prude when it comes to these movies. You're not even going to watch the movie and blah, blah, blah. You know, we need entertainment. And you talk about Utrapalia, which is rightly ordered recreation. And we need all these things. Mike, uh, why won't you let me see the Padre Pio movie? I'm going to watch it. I've got to support Catholic filmmakers. That may be a good intention. I want to support Catholic filmmakers. Yeah, I do too. As a, as a Catholic filmmaker... I do too, trust me. More than anyone, I wish that we could produce high-quality, full-length feature films with top-level talent in all aspects of filmmaking. I too. You know, I ran a $45 million budget film one time. And God willing, when you see that film and you see my name listed as one of the producers, you'll say, wow, that is an achievement. I spent years of my life working on this project. And it will come out eventually. And when you, when you see it, you'll see, you'll see, you'll see. That is an intricately good film. From what I have seen, this Padre Pio film is not an intricately good film. Unfortunately, so the the moral action of watching the film, patronizing the film, is most likely deficient from the standpoint of moral theology. The film apparently has a fair amount of blasphemies. Some reportedly are against Our Lady. You know vulgarities. I'm not a fan of vulgarities. I think no one really truly is a fan of vulgarities. We don't need to see them in a film, a historical film, during a time in which the English spoken language was really not full of those vulgarities. No one was dropping F-bombs in the 1920s. But, okay, there's that. But... Why do we have to have nudity? Why do we have to have a fully naked woman in broad daylight, front and back, fully nude, in a film about a Catholic priest, Padre Pio? Well, it's because the devil was tempting him. You couldn't find another cinematic way to demonstrate temptation of a saint. You couldn't find another way. This film is grossly inappropriate and indecent. There is a parent's guide on IMDb. So, yes, that is why I have concluded, ladies and gentlemen, that it's probably not good. Not good to watch. However, perhaps maybe on clear play, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I have to think about it. Even then, I'm not sure if patronizing the film will be intricately good. Alicia, have you seen this website? Alicia. This is one of the mainstream normie Catholic websites. 
I went to see the body of the nun people say is incorrupt. My experience. By Tom Hoops. Published yesterday. I was weirded out. But there are some fundamental Christian truths I take from the experience. I went to see the body of Sister Wilhelmina, the founder of a Benedictine congregation of religious sisters in Gower, Missouri. I was really shocked, more than I thought I would be, I wrote on Facebook. But I've been thinking of her and praying ever since. What do you mean shocked, someone asked. So I confess the truth. What I wanted to write was that I was weirded out by seeing Sister Wilhelmina, but that my attitude is improving. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, when we have so-called Catholic authors, writers, who are so removed from nature, so removed from the course of life, from life and death, that to see a dead body which has in many ways defied science and then to to leave with the only phrase that you can think of as a writer who commands such a strong grasp of the English language. I was weirded out. I was weirded out. Ay, ay, ay. It's because I've never seen a body before, and it, the whole thing was just weird. Quote, to me, the whole experience was strange, but powerful. Everything about it was very outside our experience in secularized American culture. But ever since I visited, I can't get Sister Wilhelmina out of my mind. First, going to see the dead body of someone you never met is unusual, and seeing lines of people waiting to do so felt bizarre. But the more I thought of it afterwards, the more natural it felt. People lined up to seeing Queen Elizabeth's body. They didn't do so because they wanted to see a corpse. They did so because we all know someone deep inside, that we are our bodies and vice versa, that even... Though spirit and body were separated, the body of the queen still had a meaning. I don't know what this sentence even means. I don't... He he may think that the body of Queen Elizabeth has a meaning. This sentence has no meaning. Anyway, seeing the devotion of so many people there was also very odd to me. At the body, people were taking part in the experience with gusto, touching things to the body and praying, apparently unaware of the bishop's caution. Afterwards, I joked that they had a more Catholic soul than mine. But the more I think of it, the truer it seems to be. Well, that's good. (laughs) 
Bishop James Johnston said, It is understandable that many would be driven by faith and devotion to see the mortal remains of Sister Wilhelmina given the remarkable condition of her body, but visitors should not touch or venerate her body or treat them as relics. That's the Bishop of Kansas City, Missouri, saying, Don't touch the body and don't treat her as a relic. Incorruptibility has been verified in the past, but it is very rare. There is a well-established process to pursue the cause for sainthood, but that has not been initiated in this case yet. Way to go, Bishop. Way to go. By the way, I'll note to you fine folks here that the within days, practically hours of the discovery of the incorruptible body of Sister Wilhelmina in Gower, Missouri, which is one hour outside of Kansas City. Within days and practically within hours of the discovery, retired Bishop Finn of Venerable Memory made the journey to see her from his retirement in Lincoln. He was the arch, the Bishop of Kansas City before he was sacked by a cabal of homosexualist faggots inside of Kansas City who conspired to uh, take him down. In case you're wondering, that same cabal of homosexualists exists still in the Chancery of Kansas City, Missouri. None of them have been dismissed by Bishop James V. Johnston. Within days and practically within hours of the discovery of the seemingly incorruptible body of Sister Wilhelmina, His Excellency, Bishop Athanasius Schneider, made a visit, coincidentally all the way from Kazakhstan. It would be weeks later before His Excellency, Bishop James V. Johnston, the one who has declined to fire all of those homos, in fact, he promotes them, it would be one full week later before he could be bothered to drive that one long hour to the Benedictine Monastery under his own purview, within his own diocese. By this point, thousands of pilgrims had come from around the country and around the world. But the bishop himself was, understandably, extremely busy. He was busy putting together this phrase which says, Don't touch the body. Don't get too excited. We're not doing anything about it right now. There's not, we have not even initiated the process that you would be interested in, okay? We're not there. We're not there yet. Good job, Bishop Johnston. Elon Musk is sick of LGBT Pride Month. I'm so happy for him. 
I'm so happy. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. I guess we have to end this segment, don't we? What do we call this segment? The Padre Pio segment, the uh the set the, the the opening of the Paraclete segment, the Sister Wilhelmina segment. When we come back. <laughs> when we come back, we're gonna talk about Nazi symbolism. I can't wait to because it seems like it's everywhere now. Why? Why is that? Paratalk here on the Crusade Channel. Live talk radio the way it should be. Stick around. See you in a minute. We keep hearing about these Nazi symbols that are happening in Ukraine. Nazi symbols on Ukraine's front lines highlight thorny issue of history. Kiev. Ukraine. Since Russia began its invasion of Ukraine last year, the Ukrainian government and NATO allies have posted, then quietly deleted, three seemingly innocuous photographs from their social media feeds. A soldier standing in a groove, another resting in a trench, and an emergency worker posing in front of a truck. In each photograph, Ukrainians in uniform wore patches featuring symbols that were made notoriously by Nazi Germany and have since become part of the iconography of Far-right hate groups. Far-right hate groups. The photographs and their deletions highlight the Ukrainian military's complicated relationship with Nazi imagery, a relationship forged under both Soviet and German occupations during World War II. That relationship has become especially delicate because President Vladimir V. Putin of Russia has falsely declared Ukraine to be a Nazi state, a claim he has used to justify his illegal invasion. Ukraine has worked for years through legislation and military restructuring to contain a fringe far-right movement whose members proudly wear symbols steeped in Nazi history and espouse views hostile to leftists LGBTQ movements, and ethnic minorities. But some members of these groups have been fighting Russia since the Kremlin illegally annexed part of the Crimea region of Ukraine in 2014 and are now part of the broader military structure. Some are regarded as national heroes, even as the far right remains marginally marginalized politically. In the short term, this threatens to reinforce Mr. Putin's propaganda and giving fuel to his false claims that Ukraine must be denazified. You've got to denazify Ukraine. I think that this is a brilliant move on the part of one Vladimir Putin. Honestly, I can think of nothing more brilliant from his point of view than to claim That all he's trying to do is fight Nazis. Just trying to fight Nazis. That's all he's trying to do. Because in the so-called educated West, in the West, in the Western world, the worst thing that you can be is a Nazi. 
It is the worst by far. I don't know if I played this for you or not. Let me see if I can get this to play. Free or die? Now you are free. Yes. And we will be. And the Russians are dying. It's the best money we've ever spent. Lindsey Graham. The Russians are dying. It's the best money we've ever spent. While he's had, while he has that homo grin. Let me see if I can turn this up. Can I turn this up? I want you to hear Lindsey Graham saying, "This is the best money we've ever spent." It's the best money we've ever spent. Thank you so much. Lindsey Graham sitting across from Zelensky. Zelensky in his classic green t-shirt. Everyone else is wearing a suit. Here's Lindsey Graham one more time. Free or die. Free or die. Free or die. Now we are free. Now we're free. And we will be. And we will be. Russians are dying. It's the best money we've ever spent. And the Russians are dying. It's the best money we've ever spent. What kind of human being says that? What kind of human being says the best money that we have ever spent is to send your nation's sons to certain death so that our enemy will bleed. We are paying you, Zelensky, we are enabling your corruption, Zelensky. You have billions of dollars in cash in your penthouse in Miami. You personally are enriched. Your generals, your bureaucrats are enriched by our fake money. And in exchange for that, you send your sons and, well, since it's a woke, gay country, your sons and daughters, to die so that our enemy will bleed. It's the best money we've ever spent. The Russians are dying, and it's the best money we've ever spent. Can we revisit, just for a moment, ladies and gentlemen, can we revisit the integral good? Do we think that bribery, extortion, blackmail, corruption, do we think that those are morally good things, morally neutral things, or morally bad things to do in general? I would, I would contest, I would propose to you anyway, I would submit for your consideration the idea that corruption, 
black male are not morally acceptable forms of behavior. I would propose to you that we should not be engaging in that sort of thing. And yet here we are. Here we are. We're doing it in the Ukraine. That's just the moral action. How about the circumstance? We're doing it in the context of war. In the context of bloodletting, violence. We're doing it in the context of supporting a nation who is supposedly being invaded by the Ruskies right now, but has made time in their parliamentary activities to legalize gay and transgender dysphoria and has, uh, well, taken on the they-them agenda pretty radically. That's the context of this thing. How about our intentions? What are our intentions exactly? Why are we enabling the bribery, corruption, extortion, and blackmail? Why are we using Ukrainian foot soldiers as pawns? Is it really to kill more Russians? Why wouldn't we just kill Russians directly if that's what we need to do? I would argue that the intentions of our governments are not even known or knowable. They're not discernible. Perhaps the intentions are to just have a war to have to have Biden be a wartime president. Perhaps the intentions really are to contain communism. As though we're not the chief exporters thereof. Perhaps the intentions are to enact a genocide of the Eurasian people. Let Putin have a war, put up a good fight. Perhaps our intentions are to demonstrate our resolve to our NATO allies in the defense of Europe from communism. Whatever the case may be, what needs to be said over and over and over again is that the path to hell is highlighted with good intentions. In other words, the intentionality of an action is only the third most important criterion in determining the integral good nature of the action. 
In other words, you cannot commit a moral depravity with a good intention and think that that's that the intention alone has redeemed the action. I can't commit an abortion for a good intention because committing abortion is itself a grave evil. Can't do it ever for any reason. Cannot directly do it. You can't bribe, blackmail, extort, corrupt for a good intention. You can't do something that is morally impermissible for a good intention. So intentionality, even if we ascribe saintly intentions to this regime, the fake Catholic usurper-in-chief Joe Biden regime, even if we appropriate the best of possible intentions to them for this, Nevertheless, if the action itself, i.e. corruption, blackmail, bribery, is morally bad, then it's unjustified. It's not integrally good. Let alone the circumstances. The circumstances come first ahead of the intentions. The circumstances are pretty darn important, therefore. What are the circumstances here? Oh, you know, just the death of all the farmers in Ukraine. Just the death of many of the soldiers in Ukraine. The circumstances are that the United States is bankrolling the suicide mission of Ukraine to bloody the nose of the bear. That's the circumstance. We are using the Ukrainian people as just a little pawn in our game of propping up Russia as an enemy. Russia was never an enemy to Democrats. Democrats have loved Russia for an entire generation. They've admired the communist Russians forever. Barack Hussein Obama loved the Russians. He said the 1980s called in one of their foreign policy back when Mitt Romney suggested that we do have a geopolitical nemesis in Russia. George W. Bush, even, Democrat light, looked into Putin's eyes and saw that he had a good soul. He looked into his eyes, remember that? saw that he had a good soul. So, mass-murdering KGB Putin, Russian commie, who incidentally is one of the last world leaders who supports traditional Christian values. Irony alert. Uh, Mass-murdering psychopath Putin... Gets a pass from both Republicans and Democrats until Hillary Clinton shows up and concocts this idea that Putin likes Trump and wanted Trump in the White House and swayed the American election. Russia Gate. 
which was all proven to be fake recently. What was the name of that report? There was a report that came out. They basically said that she paid for the dossier, that the FBI fell for it. The whole thing was a fraud. We all knew that, of course. There was never any Russia gate. There was never any connection with the Russian Empire. And by the way, if the Russians can steal an election in the United States of America, what makes us think that we should have elections anymore in the United States of America? They can be stolen so easily. I don't know. That seems like a perfectly logical question to ask. In my humble opinion, okay, if if elections can be stolen, then maybe we shouldn't have them anymore. I don't know. Why are we still doing it? What's the definition of insanity? Why would we continue to hold elections in the United States if they can be stolen, not even by our own government... No, 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 no. That's not even on the table. Now, Hillary Rodham Clinton is on record as saying that we need to influence the outcome of an Egyptian election so we can go into Egypt and steal their election. But trust me, ladies and gentlemen, we would never do such a thing within our own homeland. You would never steal an election in the United States of America, the USSA, the land of the free and the home of the brave. That couldn't possibly happen. Whereas, comma, it's okay for us to meddle in other people's elections. But evidently the Russians helped steal an election in 2016, tilting it in favor of DJT, Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States of America. And ever since that day, darn it, since that fake dossier was written, we have decided that, well, Russia is now an enemy. Oh, as a side note, when we installed the, the corrupt Zelensky regime in 2014, once again meddling in another nation's affairs, we installed the Zelensky regime in 2014. Barack Hussein Obama did. That would have been around the time that fake Catholic usurper-in-chief Joe Biden and his dimwit son began their billion-dollar relationship with the Ukraine. So I don't even know how one could ascribe angelic virtues to the intentions of the United States experiment in Kiev. But even if, if you were to untangle this woven web of corruption from the Obamas, the Trumps, the Clintons, the Bidens. This web of lies surrounding Ukraine. 
even if you could untangle it all, iron it all out, and present an iron a, an ironclad case of angelic virtues. I do not think even in that scenario you could present a plausible argument as to why it is an integrally good moral action that the United States is paying for suicide soldiers. The United States government paying off the leaders of Ukraine to send their men in to die. I think we need to get ourselves out of that situation as quickly as possible. And by the way, say what you will about Trump, and probably no one on the Crusade Channel has said more about Trump than I have in terms of opposing him. Probably no one has been more critical of him than I of any of us at the Crusade Channel. That being said, say what you will about him. At least he gets the Ukrainian situation. At least his public comments about it are, we need to stop the bleeding. We need to stop the death and the carnage. And I will have it stopped within one month of taking office. And I think that that's probably true. I think, I think, that, I think that Trump actually does. He, he refuses to say that he refused, actively refused to say that Zelensky was the good guy or that he supported Zelensky. And he sounded, frankly, in my opinion, very presidential when he said that the dying needs to stop. The carnage needs to stop. So good on him for saying that. I do hope that if and when he is reelected, we can pull out of that situation and stop using the Ukrainians as human shields for our own diplomatic and geopolitical ends. Folks, this is the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be. This is Paratalk. It's been a pleasure being with you. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow. This is Paratalk. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com